Thank you for listening to the Sunday School Teaching Ministry of Pastor Luke Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to be back uh, talking about the amazing Word of God. Next Sunday is, uh, you know, it's Memorial Day weekend. <clears throat> so I've invited Captain Matt Spurgeon to, uh, to give us a word at the 930 hour. That's next Sunday. So don't miss that at, uh, during the Sunday school then. But today is our second lesson in the series, Hold Fast. We're looking at 2 John, 3 John, and Jude, these little baby books with big time messages. Let me just say about uh, today's lesson, if you're in church at all for just a little while, if you go to church, you'll eventually find something to be upset about. Probably is going to be me if you're in this church. Uh, You may have heard this one. It's one of my favorite tales about a man who was stranded on a deserted island in the Pacific for years and years. One day, finally, a boat came sailing into view. And he frantically waved the, the skipper down and he brought the boat in to the beach. The skipper got out and saw the man and said, how long have you been here? He said, man, I don't know. I've been here for years. He said, uh, he said well, I'm going to rescue you, but I notice you have three huts here. You built three huts. What, what is this all about? And this, the man said, uh, well, the, the first hut here is my house. And he said, okay, well, what's the second hut? Well, this is my church. Is that right? Well, what about this third hut over here? Oh, well, uh, th- that's the church I used to go to. <laughs> uh, this, is, uh, this is funny to me. It's how we, we are, but the reality is it's not funny at all. <laughs> uh, we've all heard the sad stories of churches falling apart and things happening in churches and churches closing. Now, af- after uh, all the stuff with COVID and everything especially, grieves us. I just read this past week about a thriving church, one that was reaching people. And, but then they decided as the church was growing, well, let's get some new seats in the auditorium. And that's all it took. And everybody had an opinion. And eventually just that one thing and everybody's arrogance or whatever crippled the church. They stopped being able to reach their community. You know, every one of these stories, when you read them, when you hear about them is sad. But to me, probably the saddest ones are, are the ones that the churches that become ineffective or fold, not because of outside enemies, but because of infighting. Amen. <clears throat> not doctrinal issues, but human pride. Human pride over insignificant things. And usually, usually, it all begins with one person. One person. Today we're going to see that local churches, since day one, have never been immune to people problems. Uh, Unity, the Bible says, is good and precious. It's good and precious when brethren dwell together in unity. And everybody's heart can 
can feel that. But it's also, unity is also essential in carrying out our mission. It really is. But everybody has to be doing our part for unity to happen. One bad apple truly can spoil the whole bunch. And this is a big theme right now in this book, the straightforward little letter of 3 John. So again, it's the aged apostle, <clears throat> probably in his 90s. He's the last living disciple of Christ, of the 12. One of those 12 who walked and talked with Jesus on a daily basis for three years. And John, he writes this very personal letter from maybe Ephesus or Patmos. He writes this little letter to a man named Gaius. Now, it's rare in Scripture, actually, to have a letter or a book of the Bible that's written to only one person. Um, but the style is unique in that, or not unique, it's, it's actually very common in the way they wrote letters back then. So really what we have here in 3 John is, is just a delightful little personal letter that the, the Apostle John wrote to a very, very close friend of his. And if you, they've discovered and uh, dug up letters from back then and the opening and closing of this letter is very similar to how just the letter writing was back then. It's just a sweet little letter, but it has a powerful message here. And again, like 2 John, the theme, as we're going to see, is love and truth. Truth is mentioned, the word truth is mentioned four times in the book of 2 John in only a few verses, but the word truth is mentioned six times here in 3 John. And the balance is important, love and truth. This is who we are as believers. We, we want to balance love and truth, love and truth. 2 John was about making sure to guard truth, and not allow these traveling false prophets into your home. Shut the door, don't bid them Godspeed. Lies are a dangerous, dangerous thing, don't let them come in. Third John is about making sure to guard love and making sure to open our home and be hospitable to the worthy traveling prophets, the ones who we should invite in. So there's just, just this great balance between the two books here. Third John, let's start in verse one and look what John writes to his friend. Here's what he says. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. Now again, John here is the elder, which is a term for his authority uh, as an apostle and a leader of the church, but also because of his age, I mean, he's just old. <laughs> he's up there, but worthy of honor and worthy of respect because of these things. Gaius is an extremely common name back in those days. It's like Jim today. There are three Gaiuses mentioned in the New Testament. This one appears to be a church member that's in Asia Minor, which is now Western Turkey. And maybe he was one of the deacons or just a man in the church who had taken it upon himself to really care for John and other traveling missionaries and other traveling prophets and preachers who would come through the area. He was a very hospitable man, and we're going to see that in a moment. He's widely known for his ministry of hospitality. But you notice right off the bat in this letter um, something, if you're really paying attention, that this is a person who is obviously very near and dear to John. Look what he says in just these two verses. Well-beloved, well-beloved Gaius. And then he says, beloved. 
And then he says, whom I love in the truth. He uses this tender language of well-beloved and beloved and love. I love you, brother. You are a beloved man. You're well-beloved by me. Very tender. There's a wonderful heart closeness between John and this dear brother in the Lord. Gaius may have even been a convert of John. John may have led him to the Lord. We'll see in a few moments that that's a possibility. But let me just say in passing as we think about this for just a moment, uh, how sweet and life-enriching it is to have a close Christian friend and to have a godly Christian friend that actually lift you to the Lord and not tear you down. And I would just, it's priceless. It's priceless. And if you have one, uh, keep hold on to that good friend. And if you don't, then do what it takes to build that. Do what it takes to build that. But what, what a precious greeting. <clears throat> John cares for his well-being. He says, Gaius, I, want you, I wish above all things that you'll be in health. Maybe Gaius hadn't been feeling well. But this is a thoughtful way to say it. Look what he says. He says, I wish above all things that thou mayest be in health as thy soul prospereth. In other words, your spiritual life is thriving, Gaius. We all know that. But I wish your body would be the same as your spirit, as your soul. You know, we're all creatures who have a body, soul, and spirit. And this tells me right here, off the bat, that God cares for all of that. He cares for our bodies. He cares for our soul. He cares for our spirit. But that's an interesting statement also to personalize. Think about this. What if your body, all of a sudden, was at the same level of health as your spiritual life? <laughs> How would you be doing? How would you be doing? That's a kind of a convicting thought. Anyway, John expresses how pleased he is with what he's been hearing about his dear brother Gaius. Gaius, I've been hearing so many good things. Look in verse three. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. It was Gaius's walking in truth that gave John the greatest joy. I mentioned that last week. Anybody who has children or anybody they love, you know that it, it would be nothing, there would be nothing that make you happier than to know that your children are walking in truth. And this is where it appears that Gaius may have been a convert or spiritual child of John, if you will. But notice John says, the brethren that came to me and said, you, Gaius, are a man who has the truth in him. You're a man who has the truth in him. What a great reputation. <clears throat> this wasn't just a person who had a head knowledge about the truth. He had the truth of Jesus and God's word deep in his DNA. It is in you, and everybody knows it. They came, everybody's talking about it. The truth is in you. I mean, he's a man who integrated truth into who he was and what he did on a daily basis. You could just watch Gaius. He was the kind of person you would watch in church, you'd meet him, you'd talk to him, you'd listen to his words, you'd watch his life, and you would get a lesson on Christian living. You know, some people preach sermons, but some people are living sermons. Amen. And he was a living sermon. Gaius was a walking billboard for Jesus. And then John gets to the reason for the letter, the heart of what he's writing about. He's sending a group of traveling ministers to the church there, and... He's implying here that he needs Gaius to help and assist with their needs as they come through. 
So John starts by commending him for his incredible acts of service already in the church and for the cause of Christ. Verse five, look. Beloved, that is to Gaius, beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers. So he's talking about these traveling prophets that, and teachers that he didn't know, uh, these brothers that would come through, but they were strangers to him. And Gaius would faithfully take care of them. Uh, you do faithfully all that you do for them. <clears throat> now I just want to mention here the inns and the motels, if you will, back then were actually very dangerous places. Um, this was, the, this was the place where the CD types uh, were. In fact, the Greeks hated to pay for lodging. It was just something in them. <clears throat> so, in fact, a very interesting system that they had set up back in these days of helping travelers uh, to rely on, this, on the hospitality of strangers. It was sort of a thing. You would have a token even in your pocket that you would bring and show that uh, here you're part of this clan or this, these people and you could be trusted and so they, people would open their home and uh, allow you to come in. <coughs> it was Airbnb without any of the cost back then. <coughs> but it appears that Gaius, John is saying, Gaius, you do this better than anybody. You do it just as well or better than anybody I know. You faithfully open your home and specifically to God's people when they're coming through and these people who are preaching the word and who need uh, some support. You open your home, you bring them around your dinner table, you pray for them, you encourage them in the Lord, you give them an offering as they, as they leave and, and enough to make it to the next place that they're going. And again, I just wanna mention the hospitality here is one of those things that may seem like a small thing, but it is not a small thing to God. And I, I personally, I think that it is one of the greatest ministries that a Christian can be involved in. Now hear me, because I really, really, really feel like this is an absolute key to a healthy and thriving church. Max Lucado said this, I want to read this to you, listen. Not everyone can serve in a foreign land, lead a relief effort, or volunteer at the downtown soup kitchen. But who can't be hospitable? Do you have a front door, a table, chairs, bread and meat for sandwiches? Congratulations, you just qualified to serve in the most ancient of ministries, hospitality. Something holy happens around a dinner table that will never happen in a sanctuary. In a church auditorium, you see the backs of heads. Around the table, you see the expressions on faces. In the auditorium, one person speaks. Around the table, everyone is heard. Church services are on the clock. Around the table, there is time to talk. Hospitality opens the door to uncommon community. It's no accident that hospitality and hospital come from the same Latin word, for they both lead to the same result, healing. When you open your door to someone, you are sending this message. You matter to me and to God. You may think you're saying, come over for a visit, but what your guest hears is, I'm worth the effort. I don't think, personally, that we can overstate the power of hospitality. And that's why I make a strong emphasis about our greeter ministry, for example. I think it is a key to a happy and joyful and friendly environment in our church and a culture that we really need to cultivate. And also why I'm thankful for like our ministry we call serving tables. Sarah Matcha kind of heads that up and she's 
I mean, we're making food all the time for all kinds of different gatherings. Warm greetings, eating together. These kind of things do something that unite us. And, and it's hard to duplicate that in any other setting. It's just so powerful. It's a powerful spiritual work. And everybody should be involved in hospitality for Jesus in one way or another. At the very basic level, just friendliness. But it's, it's a powerful spiritual work that I think John is commending uh, Gaius for. It's not just a practical thing. It goes deep to the heart of a person. And everybody that left Gaius' home would talk about the hospitality of Gaius. Look at what John says in verse six. These folks which have borne witness of thy charity or thy love before the church. He said basically these guys would stand up and talk to anybody in the church and, and bear witness of your love because of how you accept people and bring people in. Whom, if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. So he says, now, Gaius, if you, I'm asking you now to do this for another group that's coming through. That's what he's implying here. And if you do this for them, you bring them forward on their journey after a godly sort, you'll do well. Uh, he said, bring them. This means, or bring them forward means to send them forward. In a godly way, it means in a manner worthy of God. So why was this group of travelers then, that John was referring to, so worthy of Gaius' help? John sends a letter ahead of them and says, accept these brothers that are coming through, they're worthy of it. Verse seven, because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. So here are the reasons that Gaius should help these brothers in particular, the ones that are coming. First of all, they go out for no other reason than, than the name of Jesus. These guys that are coming to, toward your home, Gaius, are doing what they do simply for his name's sake, for the name of Jesus. By the way, this is the God-approved motivation for going into full-time ministry work, missions or whatever. Not to earn a living, but for one name and, and one name alone, for the name of Jesus. Not for your own name, People God calls are, are willing to let someone else have their job if that's what the Lord wants because it's not about them. It's not about me putting my name in, any, in, in lights. And you know what? You can test a person out to see where their motivations are, but often by just giving them a job that no one knows about. Here you go. Are you willing to, they say, come and say, I want to serve the Lord. I want to do something. I want to do something great for the Lord. Awesome. Here's a toilet brush and uh, have at it. We need these toilets cleaned here. <laughs> uh, if, if you, you, you can start to test the motivation right there. Also, these ministers, he says, uh, they're not doing it for people. That sounds kind of funny. What, we're not ministering for people? No, actually, at the end of the day, a minister is not ministering for people. He's doing it for his name's sake. He's doing it for Jesus. Because those who serve for people will eventually get burnt out. They'll feel like that they're not getting patted on the back enough. People aren't appreciating what I'm doing. And some people will serve in a church uh, for a while, maybe a few years or a couple years, and they'll say, then they'll come and say, you know what, I did all this for people. I did all this. I spent all this time and all my effort, and nobody called me. Nobody ever thanked me. Hold on a second. What are you doing this for? What are you doing this for? 
I mean, it's nice to have encouragement, and we ought to encourage, and everybody who's around should make sure we give plenty of praise and pats on the back. But this is, that is not what it's about. If we never get any pats on the back, this is for the name of Christ. No one should feel like people have to thank them. And second, these guys, not only is because they're doing this for the name of Christ, and that's it, but that they have proved themselves by not begging for money from the Gentiles. You know, it was common back then for the religious gurus of the day to go around asking for money from everybody, even from the, when it's talking about Gentiles here, it's talking about pagans, those that aren't believers. They would even go to unbelievers and ask for money. I mean, this, this time in history was full of re- religious shysters, okay? People who are out there looking for money from people. In fact, it was such a problem back then, as it is now, by the way, that the early church fathers wrote a sort of church manual to help churches all over the place discern between a true and a false prophet. The name of this manual is called the didache. It, the word means teaching. And look at this little excerpt that I have here for you from the didache. It says, every apostle coming to you, let him be welcomed as the Lord. He will not stay more than one day, and if it is necessary, another. But if he stays three days, he is a false prophet. (laughs) When going out, the apostle is to receive nothing except bread until his lodging is located. And if he asks for money, he is a false prophet. (laughs) Interesting to think about. If he stays one day, fine. Two days, mm, what's going on here? Three days, uh-uh. He, this is not your man. Um, today, you'll see this in other countries. You know, uh, Pastor Tim, is, my dad has spoken several times about going to Thailand, and one of the things that really stands out in his mind is watching the Buddhist monks walk up and down the streets ringing the bells, and the people have to come out of their house and put money in their, in their cans as they walk down the street. You know, John was saying about these particular traveling ministers that I'm sending forward, they didn't take anything from the Gentiles or the pagans. They were there to reach the lost, not charge the lost. But notice in all of this, what John is saying here, it is the responsibility of God's people to take care of the preachers and missionaries. It is God's people to do it willingly and to do it how they're supposed to do it. Not that they, not that a preacher can't accept a donation from an unsaved person, but they're not out there begging the lost to support the work of God. It's up to us to make sure that the work of God continues all over the globe. It is up to us. It is up to us to make sure this message goes to the furthest end of the world. Now look how John reminds Gaius of this Christian duty in the next verse, verse eight. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be the fellow helpers to the truth. See, we ought to do this. We ought to accept them. We ought to help uh, God's, uh, God's people and those out there working on the front lines and those ministry workers. We ought to help them because then it makes us fellow helpers to the truth. If you can't go into full-time ministry, then support the work so that you are a fellow helper. See, everybody should be doing something for the gospel. Fellow helper, that word in the Greek is synergos. It's where we get our word synergy. It means companion in labor. 
if, if we're a fellow helper in the truth, we're a companion in labor, it's someone who is right there next to the minister working and helping. It's a companion, you're right by their side. In other words, what we're saying here is, God sees our giving and our money as an extension of us. God sees your money as an extension of you. If you've given to a missionary, then you are out there on the mission field. If you've given to a preacher of truth, then you're there with the preacher when he is ministering to those who need the word of God. If you've given to God's workers, then you're there when they're counseling someone and helping put marriages back together and families back together. You're there. You're there right there being a fellow helper, a co-laborer, a companion in the truth. God intends for all of us to be fellow helpers in the truth. That's, that's God's intention. So we all need to do our part. Now, John is writing to Gaius here, but think about this. Why isn't John writing to the whole church? Why is he writing to Gaius about this and not everybody, <clears throat> about welcoming these traveling ministers? Well, he tried. Look at verse nine. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. So, apparently John tried writing to the church first, but it appears that this fellow Diotrephes either made sure the church didn't see it, the letter, or he refused to grant John's request. Can you imagine the gall, having the gall, to refuse the apostle John? One of the apostles. I can't even understand this. We aren't told if he, this man, Diotrephes, is a pastor or a deacon or just a really influential person in the church. Maybe the church was in his home. We don't know. But whatever the case, John calls out now in this letter this man by name, Diotrephes. It says a few things about this toxic man. Note, I want to note here something as we go through. There's nothing about Diotrephes' doctrine or his theology. It's just his practical, unchristlike behavior here. And here's what he says. He loves to have the preeminence. As usual, in one of these situations, the issue is not the issue. John cuts to the real issue, and that is pride. He loves to have the preeminence. That's what's wrong with Diotrephes. And loving to have the preeminence can bring down a church so fast. These are people who always want to be the big fish in the pond. For them, you know, going to church, it's about stroking their ego, not glorifying God and encouraging the saints and just being a part of the team. If they, if they don't get the ministry that, that they want, then everybody's going to hear about it. As a source, I don't know who said this, but somebody said pride is the only disease that makes everyone sick but the one who has it. <laughs> Diotrephes loves to have the preeminence. This is so sad because in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul said that in all things, Christ should have the preeminence. The greatest churches are the ones who, where no one has Diotrephes' disease. Nobody. No one wants to be top dog. Everyone's trying to make Jesus number one. And I, I will say this. There's a difference between somebody who, whose duty and role it is to lead and be out in front, and then a person who loves to have the preeminence. Two different things. In fact, I've noticed about church leaders that are doing their job, 
And that is they don't really want to be out there in front. And if, some, if God wants them to sit down and take a back seat, then so be it. Let's go for it. I mean, you look at the people in Scripture, like Moses. He didn't want to be out in front. No. Jonah, no, I don't want to do that. In fact, most of the people God called in Scripture did not want the calling. And most preachers I know would have to say the same thing. I didn't really want this. The Lord called me into this. You, and let me tell you, when you have everybody in, with that kind of an attitude, nobody wants to be top dog, we all want to just see Jesus uh, number one, then you know you cannot manufacture unity that good. There's no way. And I thank God, let me just say this boldly and clearly as I can, this is what I see at the home church again and again and again every week. Today, what I'm talking about I am not, I'm not thinking about any one person. <laughs> I, I'm telling you what, this is so precious to be able to just teach this in a way that just says, hey, this is a warning shot for all of us. Let's just keep our eyes on the prize. Keep going and doing what we're doing. It's so special, this place. We want to lift up Jesus. Well, it's very obvious that John wasn't happy with this guy. <laughs> Diotrephes, he loves to have the preeminence. And if John was able to make the journey, he's about to say, I'm going to deal with this guy who blocked my letter to the church. Verse 10, wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words and not content therewith. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren and forbiddeth them not that would and casteth them out of the church. Few signs of diatrophy's disease right here. Number one, prating against God's man with malicious words. There are those who try to damage the reputation of people who preach the, the word of God and people who are other truth tellers, people who love Jesus, they would try to damage their reputation. Prating against us in Greek literally means to talk big bubbles of words. It's a metaphor taken you know, out of a seething pot and the, when the foam just is coming over and bubbling over uh, and... and uh, and that's what Diotrephes had. He was just seething inside and, he's, and he starts to bubble over and his cutting words to everybody about that Apostle John, the Apostle John, the Apostle John. By the way, if you're ever in a situation in a church where you're forced to choose sides and you know maybe there's some things going on and you have to side with somebody, I will say this then usually the side with the person who's doing most of the talking is the one you want to avoid. People who love to have the preeminence are usually the ones who have to get on the phone and call all the church members and meet with everybody and say, I'm concerned about what's going on and I need to talk to you. They're prating about with malicious words. Number two, it says here that he won't receive the traveling ministers sent by God's man. He won't even receive them. And then number three, he rebukes and excommunicates anybody who does support the traveling ministers that are coming through that were sent by John. It's a big power play here. This guy is corrupted by power and he's now threatened by the apostle John and anybody else on John's side. And his, Diotrephes' little self-made throne at church is at risk and he's, he's worried about it. Good lesson for all of us. Nobody, let's nobody build a little throne in our place of ministry. This is all God's work, and church is like a body. We all do our part, like a body. We all a body part, doing our thing. 
Don't let diatrophies disease get you. I was thinking, that's the one disease that I do not want to catch. Lord, help me not to catch diatrophies disease. Maybe we should have a mask mandate for diatrophies disease. <laughs> put, put a Bible mask, you know, a, put, keep it up. John makes it plain here, as he can for Gaius, verse 11. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. In other words, what Diotrephes is doing is evil, and it's not of God. I can't say it any plainer than that. There is no godness in this. So don't be swayed by this man. Gaius, you just do the right thing, no matter what this bully says. And in my mind here, I see Gaius sitting here reading this letter. He opens it up, breaks the seal, opens it, begins to read this letter. I'm sure already tears running down his face as he's thinking about the Apostle John coming. And probably just knowing that John is understanding what's been happening in their church by this bully and this guy who loves to have the preeminence. And I, 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 can just, I can just almost just imagine him sitting by candlelight reading this and feeling those feelings of thankfulness that, that God knows and God's gonna deal with this. And then he continues reading verse 12. Demetrius hath a good report of all men and of the truth itself. Yea, and we also bear record and ye know that our record is true. Demetrius is probably the guy who delivered the letter, handed it over to Gaius. And he's well known, it says here, to be a good Christian man. Even the truth would give him a good report. The word, in other words, his life matches the word of God. He was the opposite of Diotrephes. John says, this is a man you can welcome into your home. And this is a man who will be a blessing to you in your church. And maybe Gaius is reading the letter, he probably looks up at Demetrius standing right there thinking, thank the Lord for sending a man like this. This is the kind of man, Demetrius, the kind of man you walk away from saying, I'm refreshed in my spirit. A man who lifts people up and doesn't drag people down. A man who contributes to a healthy, thriving church and not one who's tearing it down with his words. As I was studying this, I couldn't help but think of our dear brother who's now with the Lord, Herb Voppel. And who, just a man who really wanted to be here in this building. Some of you don't know who he is. But he died right before we were able to move into this building and he loved just being here at the home church. It was his favorite part of the whole week. And every time you'd talk to him through all his, his wife passing away and then so many other things just going on in his body and his life, you always walked away though feeling encouraged by him. And he, he wasn't bringing anything down. He, he, was, he was struggling to do all he could but he, he did whatever he could to just keep building others up. He didn't have much in his life, but after his death even, uh, there was a check that arrived in the mail from Herb Voppel. <laughs> Lord, help us to be a Demetrius, a Herb Voppel. Lord, help us to be these kind of people who just build the kingdom of God and live our life in that way. I mean, I just love what it, what it says here. What a good report. We also bear record. Our record is true. This, is a, this man has a good report of all men and of the truth itself. Lastly, here we end. John comes to a close. I had many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee, but I trust I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. Peace be to thee. Our friends salute thee. 
Greet the friends by name. John could say so much more, but he thinks it would be better to say it face to face. And some things are better said face to face. <laughs> I'm sure John was holding back quite a bit here when he was talking about diatrophies. He said, I need, I need to talk a little more when I get there. But this is good discernment for any of us. So in review, real quick, God speaks about three men and three tremendous life lessons. Here they are quickly as we end. Number one, the lesson of Gaius. Christian hospitality is no small thing in the Lord's eyes. Get involved somewhere. Christian hospitality is no small thing. It's a powerful work of the Lord. The lesson of Diotrephes then is one church member's pride can greatly harm the work of the Lord. One church member, one, just one of us in this room, one of us in this church, we could do some great damage. It's just a warning to all of us. And then lastly, the lesson of Demetrius, leave a legacy of following the word of God and building up the work of God. What a dear man Demetrius must have been. He's some people, Demetrius, Gaius, and I can't wait to meet in heaven someday. So hold fast, hold fast everyone. Keep following that which is good, as it says here. Lord, we thank you, we praise you. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.